Okay, and we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando up here in the beautiful state of Jefferson on the Smith River. We've been enjoying some sunny days and beautiful weather, but that's about to change as we were just discussing in the pre-show. Uh, looks like we're going to be hitting, getting hit pretty hard with a couple winter storms that are being uh, directed our way. So uh, I've been outside uh, getting the low tunnels all set and reinforced and getting ready for some high winds, very abnormal weather, uh, grand solar minimum and man-made weather warfare and everything kind of coming at us. So oh, maybe we can touch a little bit upon about that today with our special guest, Sophia Smallstorm is with us today, and she's got a lot of knowledge and understanding with, about all this stuff. Um, a couple just points of biz. Uh, we have uh, been working hard on more teas that we'll be launching soon. Uh, and so we're really excited about adding more to our tea line. And uh, we'll be announcing that in the coming weeks as we uh, prepare for that. And uh, the reunion summit is officially been set. The launch date will be uh, March 20th, spring equinox. That's a Saturday. Uh, Alpha Vedic, Josh Del Sol. We have people like Sayer G, Kelly Brogan, Andy Kaufman, Cal Washington. Uh, so many amazing people. Dr. Edith Binto Chan, Melissa Sell, Troy Casey. Uh, just an amazing assortment of solutions-oriented thought leaders. And it's just been an amazing ride. So mark your calendars. We'll be launching that uh, site, uh, the Reunion Summit site, in the next couple of weeks. We're working on the trailer right now, and the entire site will launch. And that's going to be a free seven-day summit. Uh, it's all solutions-oriented. So today, I'm really excited about this guest we have. Uh, Sophia Smallstorm is joining us today. And... Um, she was recently on uh, Higher Side Chats, and I just love that. She's been on there a few times, and it was just uh, really uh, hit home for me, Sophia. A lot of things that she talked about there, and I look to expand upon that conversation and go even deeper. And uh, in the typical Alpha Cast fashion, uh, independent researcher Sophia Smallstorm uh, joins us today. She's a graduate. A graduate of Brown University and an independent researcher who has written and presented extensively on hidden agendas and complex events since her work on 9-11. In the process of researching that topic, she discovered the phenomenon of artificial clouds and geoengineering, or what we know as chemtrails. From this, she came to acknowledge the presence of a synthetic biology agenda and the activities that constitute everyday life. In 2013, she began researching corporate government, the legal doctrine of Perens Patria, if I pronounced that right, uh, technocracy, and the smart control grid, and the impact this is having on public freedom and public health. We'll be ready to tackle all of this and more on today's show. I really look to dive deep into the current uh, uh, fourth Industrial Revolution that's being pushed upon us, or is known as the Great Reset. Everything that's kind of going on in the world in regards to technocracy, uh, the control grid, the 3D complex that we are forced into when we incarnate here, and uh, the solutions that we can develop, uh, that we are developing, that we know related to our consciousness and our ability to heal ourselves and, and really control our own reality. Uh, Bear Lando, how are you today, sir? 
Doing great today, Michael. Uh, good to see you. And uh, Sophia, such a delight to have you here. You know, I've been a fan of years for a number of years as I did the other day. Uh, I forgot when, but it was a good number of years ago. I used to listen to your presentations. You've been one of those warrior voices early on, uh, alerting the herds of uh, what's being done in the skies and in our electrical grid. And who thought we ever would have come this far, um, you know, back when I was first at it and you were, I, I don't think any of us, at least I didn't anticipate um, them getting to this point and was to um, have a hypnotic overlay on the population in order for their, you know, propaganda and grids and everything working in conjunction to continue the narrative that seems to have a lot of people duped right now, you know, much to our own peril. If you'll forgive just a quick uh, tangent, and then Sophia and I, we've got a lot of questions for you and want to hear all about your work. And I know you've progressed, uh, you know, in the last year with everything. Um, you know, treating bodies when you have somebody with uh, what we would consider a, a serious illness, um, there's actually what I found over the years, there's actually an overlay, like an electronic overlay over that body. And people that I witnessed overcoming so-called terminal diseases, uh, a, a good part of what they had to do to overcome that was to um, uh, really grow enough awareness internally to overcome uh, that grid that becomes a prism uh, that jades your perception and, and even directs your biology into areas of perception that aren't necessarily true. And, uh, you know, as I look at the population now, just in this mass Maya, not everybody, but, you know, a good deal of the population that can't even look in the sky and, and recognize clouds from chemtrails, um, we have to understand the, the grid and all the things you know very well about have created, uh, you know, a, a, a mass impedance of our ability to just see things, uh, you know, as they are in a natural order. And then in com combination with the propaganda and all the other things that they throw at us now, there's literally an electronic grid, uh, you know, overlaying, you know, entire uh, populations. And so I, I have frequent conversations, Mike and I talk about this all the time. We say, how can people be so blind for what's just in your face and now actually rubbing our noses in it? Um, it's because they, they literally cannot perceive and they are uh, unfortunately, um, you know, I don't want to use the word victim, but kind of victims of this whole orchestrated overlay. And it really prevents them from uh, really being able to take in information, to uh, have a critical thought process about it and make up their own mind. And even when you do a huge data dump in order to substantiate, you know, what you might want to discuss with them, they can't take that information in. So um, here we are. Uh, I believe that everything is purposeful and there is a silver lining in this and, and I'll save that for a later time. But uh, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. So what do you see going on in the world and where are we headed and what are we going to do about it? Those are three questions. And they're they very are. general, all of them. 
and I won't answer any of them. How's that? How's that for a special guest, right? That's, uh, I, I like, I like your style there. Yeah, I no, like your I style. Mean, so uh, where do you see where we're at now? What's going on? I'm going to interview you for a second. Twice, okay. you use the word um, an electronic something. You called it a grid. You called it an electronic, let's just call it cover, right? That is over people and that you believe this impairs their perception of what's going on around them. So I'm going to ask you, whether you actually mean electromagnetic, or do you actually mean electronic, or do you mean electrical? I want you to explain what you actually want to relay by using that, those, that okay. phrasing. Fair enough. Um, yeah, fair enough. And um, it's actually a combination of all those things. But where I really come from, again, just being more of a doctor of biology, is uh, understanding the different levels of natural factors in the different parts of our being, starting with our biology, going to the etheric, into the you know emotional and mental planes, which are all th uh, you know five and, and above that different spiritual levels, you know, loosely defined. So those are definite electronic levels, and they are what we are supposed to be perceiving our reality or our experience through. Now, the other grids that I'm also talking about that are the product of, of um, working in conjunction, for instance, with their spraying in the skies with the, you know, the 5G and all the other things that we're subject to these days, those in turn impede uh, our normal use of uh, the natural layers of electronics that are related to our personal being and, you know, uh, allows us to connect at the soul level. So you tell me, um, you know, uh, just so for greater clarity for our audience, if you have uh, different ideas or terminologies that might bring greater clarity to what I'm talking about. Yeah, all I'm trying to do is understand what you're describing and see if it if I've ever felt anything like that. So my translation, my effort at translating this would be that something rests over us or we inhabit something. You could call it a layer, a grid, a cover that compresses our experience and thereby compresses our being. And I know that everybody has had moments of a kind of personal, you could call it elation, explosion, expansion where you feel like you've grown another five feet, right? I mean, if something wonderful happens, suddenly you feel very expanded and very open. So that compression is temporarily gone. And we often think that something, some external event caused that. And I think we fail to see that, no, no, we we're able in that moment to take the compression off ourselves and to feel really bigger and fuller and more dimensional than we normally feel in our lives, right? Yeah, thank you. Articulated very well and exactly what I'm alluding to. We could even go into more uh, definite terms that we use in waveform physics and, you know, uh, describe 
how compression fields work and exactly what you're describing, but I don't want to go there. That's a different discussion. So um, how, you know, with, with your, uh, what do you see right now as being, you know, the major problem perhaps that is affecting uh, people's ability just to see what's happening? I think you already did it, but maybe if you could, you know, elaborate a little bit more. I think that the major problem that most people share, it's a shared problem, is anxiety and fear of the future and resentment and guilt about the past and anger and irritation and discomfort as they live in the present. And all of this is perception. And I honestly think that the, you know, Fourth Industrial Revolution, the Great Reset, all this stuff that's being described to us and we're being warned about and we're clutching our hearts in terror because we don't want to roll forward into all this. We all created this collectively. We all created this from our shared fear and anxiety and the way that we operate in our lives. Okay, now I'm just going to mention something here. I bought a used car. Is that a bad thing? I bought it recently and it was covered by the dealership with a 90 day warranty on performance. It's they're, they're representing selling me this car that I didn't know the previous owner of or anything that for 90 days, we guarantee this thing, right? So great, thank you. Corporate owned dealership. It used to be privately owned, but now it's owned by a big, huge corporation that owns, I don't know, hundreds of car dealerships in America. So I noticed in the cold weather that when I drive this car down the road and I come to a red light, it kind of mm, has a little bit of a rough idle and then it'll sputter and almost stall and catch itself doesn't do it when it's warmed up. So I thought, okay, I have the 90 day warranty. Let me call them up and tell them to take a look at it. It might be something I don't know anything about. I don't know how to diagnose it, fuel injection, spark plugs, whatever. So I call them up and they tell me, fine, drop the car off. We won't even be able to see it for several days. I said, well, shall I just come in next week? No, no, no. It's better if you drop it off now. I said, well, what's going to happen to me? I'll be without a car. Oh, we'll give you a loaner. I said, well, I have some issues with cars that are tricked out with radio frequencies. And, you know, if you're going to give me a loaner that's got GPS and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and all that, I, I won't like it. They said, well, we can't help you then. I said, okay. He said, if you take our loaner, and we find nothing wrong with the car, we'll charge you $175 diagnostic fee. I said, well, that's not fair. You represented the car would function. I found a flaw in it. I'm bringing it to you and you're gonna charge me $175? And he said, yes, what am I gonna pay my technician who finds nothing wrong with your car and takes his time? And I said, well, I don't wanna pay you $175. And I said, this is the problem that you're corporate owned a corporation is not a living thing. It doesn't understand anything except profit. And then he tells me, I don't have time for this. So I said, all right, let's forget all about it. And he said, no, no, you. 
And I said, yeah, but you won't look at my problem for three days. I said, forget about it. I'm not coming to you. I'll forget about this warranty that you've offered me and I'll go to the people who normally fix my car. And I called them up and they said, yeah, just watch the car. Don't worry about it. Bring it in if there's a problem. And you know what? That's the wavelength I'm going to operate on. I'm going to simply anticipate. This is the this is the operative word. What do you anticipate in the future? Anxiety, fear, or do you anticipate, hey, maybe there's not a problem at all? We can't roll forward with the kind of thing the corporate-owned dealership was trying to do to me. Do you see what I'm saying? Or is it a stupid example? No, I see. You're extracting the corporate control dealership as the corporate uh, country, the corporate uh, techno sphere. Um, I see the analogy. And uh, why not get a 81 Ford Bronco and fix it yourself? Well, <laughs> you know? the thing is, then he started telling me, you bought a used car. You bought an older car. And I said, I was ready to say, don't talk to me like that. But the point is that they wanted me to be fearful waiting for their decree to pay $175 because I was a bad girl and I brought them something that doesn't even have a problem. And the mm -hmm. other people just said, don't worry about it. Just bring it to us if there is a problem. And I said, good, I'm going to forget about it. We have choices and we can decide Whose playground do we want to play in? There are a lot of people who are upset now because their YouTube channels are being canceled. I never had a YouTube channel. I never had one because I knew the day would come when it would be canceled. And this way I would avoid the problem altogether. Right? So... But you isn't there a, a little bit of a paradox there because you had to look to the future to know that that would be happening? So then there you have the, the paradox of of dabbling in in future, you know, negativity or uh, potential attacks or whatever, and to be able to navigate not going into that future possibility? There's nothing negative in that future. It's me just saying, look, I prefer not to put myself through that disappointment or stress or loss of whatever. Some people have lost thousands of videos. So I'm saying the simpler your life, the better. That's my motto. And you can navigate whether you want to regard the past with resent guilt if you did something wrong and shame or look upon the past with gratitude. You can look into the future with anxiety and fear or you can look into the future with anticipation and excitement. And you can live in the present yep. angry, disturbed, or you can live in the present with enjoyment. So these are our choices. And you can actually write all those things down and draw a line right between them. And then you see that there is an upside to the space and the words, and there's a downside. And I think most people are trained through survival, patterning, um, advisories that they really need to inhabit the downside of that spectrum in order to be safe and secure and prevent future loss. And that's simply not true. 
Yeah, Sophia, I'm, I'm so glad you went in this direction because I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. And, uh, you know, Mike and I, I don't know if you've seen many of our podcasts, but what we try to bring to the table is how to return to our, old, our own resourcefulness. And, uh, you, know, my, you know, we've had a little censorship with YouTube, but YouTube is just one of many platforms that we use, so we don't feel dependent on it. We're also very new to this uh, presenting ourselves in the public, even though we've grown pretty fast. And uh, it, my take is if uh, I'm getting censored, it's, it's no different than having a conversation with something where you see their eyes wandering and you realize they aren't engaged and aren't listening to a word you say, am I going to sit there and, uh, you know, get angry about it? Or am I just going to go find somebody that I, I can have a good discussion with? So we're already planning ourselves and, and taking some extraordinary measures. And, and this goes more into Mike's area of uh, expertise. Um, of things that uh, we'll be launching soon. So it gives us greater independence and just to find our audiences and not have to go into resistance, anger, or disappointment about, uh, you know, our voices being censored. And if the whole internet goes down, I don't even care about that because I've got a lot of other things to do. So I think, you know, the point of your story is perfect. And uh, I think what these times are requiring is each of us digging inside getting to that place and realizing, you know, we are the creator of our own realities to a large extent. And, um, you know, we can do whatever we want. So uh, the more we get squeezed by somebody or some system that doesn't want us, all it's doing is bringing about greater levels of creativity. And it's actually kind of fun when you, once you get the hang of it. Yeah. I think if you respond with the, with your own creative potential, then it can be fun. But I think when people perceive that they're, they're going to be stripped of freedoms or restricted, they, they don't, they kind of fold up and they get very upset and concerned. And um, I know somebody currently who says to me, oh, I really like your attitude. And have so much control. And I hear in his voice that he would like to have a different attitude, but he can't bring himself quite to do that, right? And so I can't teach this. This is something I learned. And it's been hard won, hard learned, if there is an expression like that, because I used to be a total worry wart. And I decided a few years ago that there were there are probably two kinds of people in the world, the what ifs and the so what's. And guess what I was? And I observed that what if people had terrible lives? They were constantly fretting and anxious and worried about this thing that might happen or that thing or what this person might say. And the so what people were just rolling along, smiling. If they went bankrupt, big deal. They could wake up and start again. And they seemed to be creatures of terrible planning, but incredible optimism and resilience. And I was a creature of very, you know, um, structured planning, very alert, but and a creature of pessimism. And I wasn't having any fun. And I decided if I had any task in front of me, it was to start becoming a so what. 
And I began to think like a so what? Well, so what? Let's, let's try something else. But then there's a flip side to what if and so what. I found that out a little bit later. The golden side of the what if coin is creativity. Because anybody who creates anything says, hmm, what if? What if I did this? What if I did that? Right? So I realized, well, I, being a what if, I, I am actually quite creative and innovative. So that's good. So let me use that part of what if more than the anxiety part. And then similarly, the so what coin, even though so what's kind of um, shoot themselves in the heel all the time and fall down, their, their golden side is power. They don't use the power necessarily the way they could. They never seem to rebuild in a phenomenal roaring lion way. But that's the true other side to so what? It's power. So creativity and power are the things that we have innately, but most of us, whether we're at the so how to use the other side of that coin. Talking about balance yeah, here, the yin, um... the yin and the yang. Sorry, Bear. I was just going to throw out, you know, the yin and the yang. And, um, you know, I know folks like my mom, she is a uh, so whater, um, but is also blissfully ignorant about a lot of stuff we talk about here. And I get a little jealous because it's like she's so happy, but also I get concerned because she has a lot of, you know, doesn't have a clue about a lot of the agenda and all that. So there's like that, that balancing act, right? And I guess it comes down to what we discuss a lot here is which is self mastery, which is balancing it all and, and living in the way uh, and knowing when it's time to be a so water and when it's time to really care and say, what if? And I think that's that fine balancing act, right? That makes us, it's why we're here. Um, it's, and it's why we navigate this world so that we can have that polarity. Uh, go ahead, Bear. <clears throat> no, I was just going to say, um, I, again, uh, the silver lining that I do see out of present circumstances uh, on our planet right now is it, it is forcing people, not forcing, but let's just say uh, stimulating people that are ready to go into their true potentials and maybe become a little bit more reliant on inner resources that, for instance, in this country, people were very self-reliant at, at one time. Uh, people like my ancestors that came just a very short time ago, my grandparents, uh, you know, they came and, and uh, escaping fascism in another country. And uh, they were just amazed that in this country, you could start a business, you could prosper, there's nobody stopping you but you. And, uh, you know, right about that same time period, uh, a vast majority of the population was self-employed and, and, you know, did call the shots in their own life. And I see that what's happening now is going to stimulate a lot of people to go back to their own potentials and to start figuring things out again. 
uh, with what's going on now, how this could have been avoided because of course, we're not just in here for an easy ride or to have somebody fix it for us. Uh, we are here, I believe, it's just my opinion, to have the experiences to you know, really dig deep and find out what we're all about in the first place. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, we get a little complacent, you know, when we uh, have it a little bit soft or, or are always looking at other people to fix things for us or provide jobs, provide our food. And that's what we're doing here. We're, we're going back to our roots and, uh, you know, learning how to fix things ourselves and then take it up a notch beyond what prior uh, civilizations and prior generations uh, went themselves. Well, you're talking about we, and I think honestly, in my heart of hearts, that the only we is really an I. That's the only entity you have that power over, which it's yourself. And you can show by example, you can inspire other people, but you really have to roll up your sleeves and say, I am going to find to get through this next, whatever it is that everybody is saying is going to be so bad. Okay, so we have Biden now, right? We could have had Trump. To me, they're just brands. It's like Coke or Pepsi. Which would you like? Bear, I have here a tray and this glass is Coke and this one is Pepsi. Which one would you like? What's your answer? What is yeah, your and, and Sophia, I know that you're very well aware of the whole corporate versus sentient being dilemma we have where people have been kind of duped into accepting uh, liabilities through a piece of paper by way of their birth certificate and other whole subject matter we get into a lot here. And uh, again, this is an opportunity for to... Uh, you know, the roots of this country where everybody was an individual. And uh, your point is very well taken uh, when you, you know, distinguish between we and I am and the operative uh, two words there are, I believe are I am. Uh, but as each person taps into that center within themselves, uh, it does create a sort of resonance, I think, which is bringing a lot of us together that are going to that place. You know, here we are talking to you. Uh, Mike and I found each other. We're talking to people all over the planet that are coming to the same conclusion. Yeah, it's up to me to clean up my own backyard. And now, you know, that creates a, a, a great commonality uh, between kindred spirits that I think is creating a we, but it does start with I am unqualified by any other thing, which will allow us to go in and really tap into where we're supposed to be in the first place. Coke or Pepsi bear, Coke or Pepsi. Still didn't <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I not answer your question? No, I don't you do didn't either. Choose but, your uh, exactly. Exactly. You don't do either one. So you turn away from the offering, right? And when it comes to finding your path, I'm going to now speak in realities, not all these abstracts. So are you familiar with the human capital market? Uh, yes, I've been following that uh, 
a lot lately. It's uh, quite uh, treacherous and frightening in some respects. And where did you first learn of it? Uh, I learned of it actually from uh, through Sayer G's interview with um, I'm blanking on her name right now to Philadelphia. Allison. Um, Allison McDowell. McDowell. Yes. Well, I learned about the human capital market from Allison McDowell also a few months ago, and I wrote about it in a newsletter and I started doing shows where I would reference this human capital market that has already begun. And Allison is the one who's really like, you know, underscored and she's extensively plumbed the many, you know, tentacles of this octopus. So the question is, in this reset, as they take down the cross section of population that has been engaged in self-employment, as you put it, Bear, um, small businesses, small business owners and the people who work for small businesses, as those people are being economically crushed, there's going to be a solution that will be offered by the state itself. And it will be, as I understand it, retraining. So the truck driver who is deprived of his job because, you know, wireless self-driving trucks will be doing all the transportation of goods. He will be told, well, look here, you know, you can retrain, you can become something else. Would you like to be a nurse? You worked nights, you drove those frigs at night. I mean, why don't you become a night nurse? Um, or here you could try this career or that career. And people, if they're not creative, they're going to say, yes, all right, fine. I need a way to pay the bills. So they'll take suggestions that are offered to them. Those suggestions, I'm speaking very simply here. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but as I understand it, those suggestions will come with a device, like a free phone with an app on it. And you will be encouraged to partake in this behavioral ledger because this is legacy for future generations. What we decide in the Great Reset, how to reconstruct ourselves and our lives, will spill, spill out and benefit our decisions, provided we make all the right sustainable decisions, provided we accept coaching from the state as to what is correct and sustainable for the future. These behaviors, if we offer them as a record to Google, there's something called the Google self-ledger. This is a record of your behavior voluntarily given as you make every little move in your life. So here you are rebuilding your life. You're going to the market. You're telling the self-ledger you're, what you're going to buy at the market. The ledger is prompting you or the app is prompting you and saying, well, you know, why don't you buy this kind of food instead of that kind of food, this brand over that brand, because it's more sustainable, it's safer, it's healthier. And we don't know the meaning of any of those words, really, in this context. But as you make those correct choices, you will be given a dribble of cryptocurrency in your account, a reward, and you will be conditioned. So the idea of moving forward with their help, using their apps and their prompts and having their social worker hold your hand and walking into one of their careers that they have um, mapped out for humanity that has been destroyed and traumatized by economic 
and, you know, emotional ruin. If you do it that way, you are going to end up a different kind of person altogether, doing a different kind of job with a different kind of consciousness and tied to the blockchain. You will have a digital ID. Knows if that digital ID will be greater than you even are in your warm body in the way that it moves through the world, right? So these are decisions that we have to face and we have to say, do we want their help or am I going to be a truly independently creative person and figure it out myself? Yeah, and they'll, they'll even have futures. Well, they already do. So they have futures investments based upon basically gambling on what this individual will be doing, what they'll be working as, what they'll be buying and that's essentially taking this human human capital market is the future in terms of how um, the value metric of the quote unquote digital currency will be placed is literally on um, the gamification of every single human being on the planet through a virtual overlay. And so AI, virtual reality, this all plays into it. And I see in the end, the idea is that we're all into the simulacrum, a literally a matrix type world where we don't even leave our home and that interaction is all done in a virtual environment. And it's just the robots and the, the, uh, the printing machines, you know, that are creating all the actual stuff in the physical 3D realm. And so, Sophia, um, how do we counter that? And, you know, you, you put it perfectly. How do we, uh, you know, invest in our own huma humanity and our own ability to, to create and co-create? And I guess my question to you is, do you personally believe that we come here with the soul contract. Well, one, do you believe that we reincarnate or incarnate on this plane? And two, do you believe that each and one of each and every one of us has a specific task or a specific mission when we, when our soul comes on to, into this realm? Those questions are too specific for me and go beyond my, my capabilities in terms of answering. I mean, I don't really have a stance one way or the other. But I would say this, a, a person I know, an acquaintance, gave me the example of his children being, let's just say, a gener almost a generation apart. He had his children of his first intended family, and then there was a child that followed many, many years later who was much younger, right? Still part. But this man told me that he would frequently go surfing with his older children. They were very outdoorsy and they loved going to the beach and surfing. But the younger child didn't want to go. He was playing a video game, a surfing video game. And he was having a great time. And he said, Dad, I don't want to go to the beach and get all wet and sandy. I want to stay here and surf my video game. And his father said, you're not surfing, you're moving a joystick. But the child did not care. He was in bliss. So that to me was an electrifying example of how the sensibilities of the people themselves are going to change. And it is through, when you ask me, what, how are we going to you know, resist this and do our own creative thing? I can't answer that because that comes right out of the map of your life, your present and your past.
How, what are your settings? Obviously, this kid did not want to get wet. He did not want to go to sand between his toes and have a wave womp him. I mean, surfing the game was painless, right? And if you do get whomped, you make a bad move. I don't even know how these things work. Nothing happens to you. You laugh. But what kind of an experience is that? That's the experience of the future. There is an individualization, though, of experience. You are correct. Like even before technology, there was always the bookworm. There's always the kid who didn't want to go out and play and play nights or whatever, had his, had his head in the book and his imagination. So I guess we like to project that it's always the technology, but, uh, but you are correct. It's the individual expression uh, of each person. Um, so that is interesting. Um, but yeah, I personally believe that what makes us unique as humans is our imagination and our ability to then take that imagination and create. And that's why we're here. And that's why I've been working. I worked actually in cryptocurrency, but see my big designation between what they call the blockchain, which there is no the blockchain, there's just blockchains. It's just a technology is decentralization versus centralization. And I think that's a really important point we need, to, we need to understand is that what they're pushing is centralization. It's centralized control versus decentralization, which is inherently natural, which is how nature works. So if we can decentralize, we can still have the ability to progress through technology. And, and I am a big proponent for analog technology. Um, however, and we need to have balance and all that and be in nature, but decentralization for me is so key. And that's the scary draconian future that we're looking at as a possibility is the centralized complete overlay grid of control. And I think to, to help people understand how we can counter that is by getting more decentralized, getting more agrarian, uh, getting more in tune with analog technologies, um, working together in communities, and then working on technologies that are digital in a way that's holistic, that is decentralized so that we can, in my opinion, I don't believe while labor is good and I, I enjoy a good day of working on the farm all day, I don't believe as we progress that humans are meant to just be laboring in factories all day. I believe we're here to create, to be artistic and to enjoy this experience. And if technology can help us get there a little bit, as long as it's in tune with our natural rhythms and is decentralized, I think that can be a good thing personally. But it's how we navigate this and it comes back to that self-mastery. It comes back to that acknowledging us as infinite awareness and, and, and uh, that we are tied to the earth and we are tied as a, because we're here on this planet to the planet and the natural rhythms of the planet. And right now we are dealing with very destructive technology. And we're dealing with rhythms that are being disturbed. I mean, there is no earth left, really. There's a vestige of it, but the weather is not real. The pH of the soil has been changed. The roots of the trees have been, you know, weakened. Forests are falling down. The, there is a very uh, good book that's out of print now called The Dying of the Trees by Charles E. Little. And it was published in the 90s. A lot of people interested in the, you know, the effect of aerosol spraying on, on biological life, uh, flora, fauna. They have read this book, buying up used copies online. 
But I actually spoke with the author, who's a very old man. This was several years ago, and he hadn't heard of geoengineering. And he had only looked at the dying of the forests in the context of industrial pollution and then certain kinds of um, infestations of like gypsy moths and whatnot, uh, bugs, which happens when something is already dying. It gives off a resonant frequency of what I call um, sepsis, decomposition, decay. And then the, the uh, little critters of the trophic chain that know how to render something that's dying into fertile um, material to feed the chain all over again, the borers, the fungi, the bacteria, they come and descend on something that's dying. So that's why you get inf infestations of insects because something is already sick and dying, right? Yes. So, yes, thank yeah. you. Because right now I work thank in the you. volunteer fire department and we have the Port Orford cedars, which are disappearing up here. And so literally I'm on the Slater fire and the local geologist is having us pour bleach, pour bleach into our trucks so that we can um, have a uh, water without the specific organisms that are supposedly causing the Port Orford cedar damage so we can save these trees while we're literally pouring bleach into the water we're now spraying back into the environment and into the ecosystem. And I'm like, no, you have it completely backwards. So anyways, thanks for <clears throat> explaining that because I, don't, I think yeah, a lot of people need to um, understand that. Yeah. Yeah, amazing point. And, you know, we on our show here, Sophia, about bioterrain medicine and the internal landscape of our bodies is no different than the external ecosystem. And, you know, I was medically trained and we're taught that those bugs and microbes are the enemy and the cause. And what you described brilliantly was, no, they're the solution uh, that are trying to fix the problems that we've in fact created. So, um, yeah, so good to hear you talk about that. And, you know, here on the farm, uh, we live in a, as pristine as you can get on the planet these days anyway. And, uh, you know, we'll have some of our crops, everything's doing fine. And then all of a sudden we'll have a few days of, uh, you know, a lot of trailing in the skies and everything. And, and, you know, almost within hours, uh, leaves, start burning and, and just showing really weird signs of things that we never used to see in our past years of farming. And, uh, you know, I was trained, uh, my formal training in agriculture was at a Northwestern university up here. And I kind of endured that, uh, you know, for certain reasons, but they go in because they're institutionalized, they automatically go into the sorts of uh, techniques that Mike is talking about. And, you know, we have a, a big thing in California with the oaks dying and the, the bark beetles and everything. And so now they're going through the so-called infestations to spray more crap on everything to kill things, which, of course, is making the problem worse. And, and we're, of course, saying, no, they're, uh, you know, a, a symptom, not the problem. And uh, yeah, so here we are. And, and it's just within our institutionalized medicine education and, uh, you know, and of course, the corporate world that has a lot of products they can sell on, uh, sell to us based on that paradigm. 
So um, would this be a good segue to, uh, I, I don't know, you guys tell me uh, to talk maybe about some of these things and maybe the next evolutions of things that you have researched, uh, Sophia, about, you know, what they're doing in the skies or in our electronic grids to create these problems? Of course, we can talk about anything that you want to. Uh, I don't know if I can claim that I have done research. My main strength, I would say, is allowing myself to think freely and to really try to see how one thing might relate to another. And sometimes I can't. It just, the relationship pops into my head. It's like a little ping, like, you know, there was a silver hammer that hit one of the keys on the xylophone, right? And I go, wow, that does add up to this and this and this. Yes. So, yeah, anything you want. I'll do my best. Okay. So um, let's maybe uh, just help people understand what's in the skies. Do you want to talk about that and, and how it's contributing to these problems that we're talking about right now with the vegetation and the forest in our planet? Well, sure. I mean, they started right now in my skies, there's nothing artificial that I can see. But that doesn't mean that components of what was done yesterday and the day before aren't there. So, you know, whatever you put in the air that nucleates, and this is electromagnetic, I'm about to put two videos up on my blog, explaining um, the fourth Slaughter, Gerald Pollock. And I had read a lot of Gerald Pollock material and my head just would spin. I didn't really even understand that the fourth state of water is the crystalline state. And anything crystal has conductivity and has the power to, um, let's just say, draw electricity, electromagnetism. It lives in the electromagnetic world if it's a crystal. We live in the electromagnetic world as well, but engages electricity and electromagnetism differently, right? It purposefully as well. So the air contains dust particles and salt particles, and those are hydrophilic, meaning they like water. So atmospheric moisture will gather onto a dust or salt particle. And if enough of these um, droplets that form collect, then you get a cloud. Now, doctor, clouds don't form without some kind of electrical attraction that, that there's a charged state to these droplets that come to the condensation nuclei the little and hydrophilia means love of water hydrophobia means unlove dislike of water right so anything hydrophilic he says is potentially electrical anything that loves water and the water in our cells is not ordinary water. It's a gel. It is a, the fourth state of water. So I have learned that the cytoplasm in the cell, now if you picture an egg that's been broken open, the yolk is the nucleus, and literally it is. The egg is the biggest cell that exists. And um, the cytoplasm, the white of the egg, is the uh, 
white, egg white, is the cytoplasm. So the cytoplasm of our cells that equates to the egg white in an egg has to be negatively charged in order for the cell to be vibrant and thriving. And when the cell loses negative charge, which is the presence of electrons, those little electrons, when you were talking electronic bear, I believe you were saying containing electrons, being, you know, moderated by the presence or absence of electrons. So the cell cytoplasm has to have available electrons in order for the business of life, metabolic life to be transacted. And without enough electrons, the cell starts to wither and fail and fumble. And the job of the mitochondria, which are these little organelles in the nucleus, which are non-human, by the way, mitochondria have nothing to do with our, they have their own DNA. They derive from ancient bacteria. And they are, there's a conduction of language, electrical language, between the mitochondria of our cells and the carbon metabolites made by the bacteria in our gut. So there's a language spoken between what's living in your gut what it produces, and these mitochondria in all your different cells. And that is being collapsed. Now, the other day I thought of something very radical. I have heard this said a couple of times by people far more trained than I, and it's hard to believe. Do you know that when you get a bit of bad news or something terrible happens, instantly the good bacteria in your gut just keel over and die? Boom they die. And the pathogenic bacteria go, yippee, good, good, those guys are dead, I can thrive. That tell you, it tells you that you mustn't react with shock and horror and dismay to bad news, right? You must be a so what? You must let it roll off your bat. Because if you allow too many of those bacteria to die in your gut and stay dead, pathogenic bacteria will grow and they will take over your internal system. Did you ever hear that before? Uh, exactly what you're saying and some excellent points. I would have just a, a perspective maybe with different uh, terminologies based on waveform mechanics and also based on bioterrain medicine, but we're talking about the same exact thing. And, uh, you know, one thing that I used to do with uh, in my career is uh, after we did, you know, all of our workups and everything, I'd sit them down and have them look at a drop of their blood under the microscope. And the whole point was to impress upon them that in this one drop, there is an entire universe and with myriads of life forms from cells to microbes and so forth. And all of those elements are in fact sentient beings. And we are, you know, so to speak, the God of their universe. And, and being fear, uh, you know, just say, uh, lower toxic emotions in limiting thought forms 
uh, habituate in our consciousness, then that has no choice but to reverberate through all those cells and organisms and create great damage. So what I would, you know, try attempt to do in a conversation is just say, you know, maybe we need to learn how to be more benevolent gods of our own universe and not do these things to these uh, little creatures in there that are actually making biological life in our body possible in the first place. And I think if people just understood more from that perspective, that everything we do think and feel has consequences to our own biology by first acting on those elementals, uh, you know, is we need to rethink the way we behave. And, uh, you know, a lot of people would really be impressed by that because they'd never seen the inside of their body under a microscope. And, and when you look at it, it looks like you're looking into the nighttime sky. So it is indeed a universe. And what's wild too is you, as you've said before, Bear, is like you can take a bl live blood analysis of somebody and their consciousness can still affect the blood out of their body. There is an electrical connection there, and that might have to do with some of this exclusion zone water, and that's the informational pathways that are going, you know, across through our consciousness that, you know, so yeah, this is all the new biology stuff, Sophia, that's really coming out and uh, is, I think, a huge um, awareness builder for folks because it connects what the more mystical schools have been saying forever, right? Control your emotions. It's everything. And what the new biology is showing now under a microscope or, or with stuff like Pollock's uh, exclusion zone water uh, investigations. I will just and, say, oh, go ahead. No, I was just last comment about water is that it is the uh, most excellent medium uh, not just as a conduit, but as uh, a medium to imprint information on. So that water is going to pick up those imprints of all those things we're talking about, uh, what we would consider both positive or otherwise. Okay, I'm going to hark back to an earlier topic. And this, I'm going to answer the question for you. Bear or approached with a tray of Coke or Pepsi, and you decline both of them, you're going to say, I prefer water. <laughs> or I like a little bubbles in my water personally. Con gas, por favor, but yes. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. So we are creatures of water. We are creatures of charged water, crystalline water. And for that reason, we're piezoelectric. Piezoelectricity is the electrical effect without any generators or batteries or anything like that, that is created by pressure, mechanical or frequency. Any kind of frequency is actually felt by biological tissues as a mechanical force. Sometimes it's known as stress. So touch, pressure, stress, mechanical force, frequency upon a piezoelectric crystal will generate a voltage and vice versa. If you apply a voltage to a piezo crystal, it will generate a frequency. It will shudder and it will cause movement. So these crystals are used in um, 
they're used in microphones. They're used in a lot of different uh, technologies, even simple technologies like a Bic lighter. When you flick a Bic, your thumb actually squeezes that little trigger, squeezes a piezoelectric crystal, which kind of says, ow, because it's experiencing stress or force. It's like being punched. And it releases a voltage, a spark, and that ignites the fuel in the lighter. So our body's biology is very dependent on piezoelectricity. We have many piezoelectric materials in us. We have many crystal forms of uh, materials in us. Piezo crystals, I learned, and I don't know enough about this, are particular crystals with a kind of lattice-like molecular arrangement. So not every crystal is a piezo crystal. But piezo crystals are very, very responsive to voltage and force. And I believe that current researchers are not looking carefully enough, closely enough, or understanding enough about the piezoelectric effect in the body. And I'm reading a manuscript that is not published yet by somebody who has really, really studied a lot of this stuff and has put together something amazing. I don't know when he's going to come out with it. But the photoelectric effect is a twin or cousin of the piezoelectric effect. And both really contribute to our biological thriving. We have to have our electricity um, working right. And it's greatly, uh, let's just say, influenced by made electricity around us. We are not operating optimally living in the electromagnetic fields and dealing with the frequencies that are not natural. And I'd like to just give the example of spectrum in nature. Okay. I have to simplify things for me to understand them and be able to talk about them. And maybe it just is an oversimplification, but sometimes it's really neat, cool, you know? So I was thinking about the electromagnetic spectrum. This was about a year or two ago. And I thought, yeah, now visible light is on that electromagnetic spectrum. And you can look it up and you can see where visible light is. And obviously we're accustomed to visible light. It doesn't bother us. We see it, right? We know how to use it. But the parts of the spectrum that we are really in tune with are the very, it's the very low end. It's the um, frequencies between zero hertz and 40 hertz. The Earth's natural electromagnetic field runs very low. And a frequency, if you put it on, um, it's how many dips the wave has and, per second. So that's called a hertz cycle, dips and crests. So we, our brain likes 7 to 12 hertz. We can tolerate 30, 40 hertz in certain equatorial thunderstorms. We can, we do okay, but that's not the kind of range that we're usually in. Your cell phone, your Wi-Fi, all this electronic stuff is operating at the gigahertz range, 2 billion. Wi-Fi is 2.4 billion hertz. So imagine a mechanical force of Billions of cycles per second hitting your cells when it's only 10 or 12 cycles per second. Your poor cells are getting very disarranged, but you have 75 trillion of them. So it takes a while for enough of them to fail 
in enough systems that you start to capsize. And that's why people are not noticing the effect of man-made frequencies on their bodies. So now let's go back to the spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum. We're used to what's at the bottom part of the spectrum, and we're used to visible light. And until technology showed up, there was nothing along that spectrum that existed in our lives. It was just empty. All those frequencies have now been taken up by technologies that radios in the megahertz range, cell phones in the gigahertz range, right? And they're moving into 5G, which is higher than giga, billion. It goes into greater um, multiples of, of thousands and hundred thousands. And you end up at the very far end of the electromagnetic spectrum with radioactive materials that are very volatile and they generate frequencies, you know, the gamma rays, the um, nuclear um, radiation is way at that end of the spectrum. Uranium, radium, all these um, elements that have found that are found to be radioactive that throw particles out. Where does nature put those? Nature buries those elements in ores in rocks, as ores in rocks. So they are embedded deeply in thick, dense rocks where biology doesn't go, right? So we are protected from yeah. them. Until man came around. So uh, I'm showing this book right now, Atomic Suicide by Walter Russell. That just came to my mind. He was telling, warning people about that very point in the 1920s. Yes. But I'm going to ask you a question. Are you thoroughly wired, Mike? Are you using Wi-Fi? So I use these ground Tesla rock grounding bags to counter that, to ground my house. Uh, it's a technology that we support. So we're aware of this stuff. I try to wire as much as I can, but when I do do wireless, um, I'm always grounding. So I ground my phone every night. I put it in a, um, I have a multitude of these um, Faraday bags. So we put our phone in that. I put all my hard drives and stuff in these. And then I, I have these Tesla, uh, these uh, grounding bags, these EMF rocks that we use to help um, negate all of these insane megahertz frequencies that are counter to the Schumann frequency, right? The Schumann resonance is what you're getting at too. And that's the natural resonance of the Hertz cycle, seven to 11 or 12. Uh, I guess newborns are more seven or six, seven, and then goes up a little bit. And that's funny that that's exactly how our brain is too. When we're in the alpha state, right? When we're in the more theta or alpha states, uh, which is why we name our company Alpha Vedic, by the way. It's the alpha state we like. So, um, so yeah, I try to uh, use, we try to use these analog counterbalances to these frequencies. All right. Well, I hope for your sake that they work because all I'm seeing are bags that you're holding up, but I'm not seeing the method by which they operate. Yeah, we've done whole podcasts so, on this. and Sophia, so. just... Uh, yeah, just a, a quick uh, comment. I'd like to hear you elaborate more on what you're uh, just a point. 
uh, these effects uh, being embedded in, you know, more inanimate, although I don't believe in inanimate objects, but like rocks and things, uh, you know, the definition of piezoelectric that you bring up uh, really connotes too that it's uh, the effect, the cumulative effect of uh, these forces on solid, uh, um, you know, uh, things. So, uh, piezoelectric uh, would mean that, you know, we are getting a cumulative effect also. Now, those bags, those are very, we found very effective uh, to buffer things within close proximity, and they do help quite a bit, and they're, you know, a very low-tech, um, convenient, and economical means to do that. Now, for people that are um, trained to do so or aware of, uh, well, let me ask you, are you aware of you ever looked into biogeometry? Because biogeometry really takes us apart on another whole level and allows us to not just try to create buffers, but that will bring in the more the natural resonance, we'll just use that term loosely, that uh, very much overcomes all of these things. That's what I use in this house. And, you know, that's what I do, you know, for other folks that, you know, have those concerns. We can go into a home and redo their home so that their electronics don't affect them the same way. And even going beyond that creates, um, you know, the natural uh, um, resonance that you would find in nature, in the earth itself, uh, you know, that keeps them healthy and not just buffered. So there are fortunately some brilliant people, you know, especially I think Dr. Kareem and biogeometry and other related fields that are doing that right now. And that's why, you know, I've, uh, you know, after years in medicine realized, you know, we had to go on to the next level of those technologies, understand them and become adept in their use, because it's really the only way, uh, you know, that we can give ourselves these little oases of, uh, you know, freedom from these cumulative effects that you're talking about. Yeah, well, I just heard of biogeometry very recently, and I have not looked into it. The person who was supposed to send me all these links didn't do it. And, you know, I haven't had the time to sit down and explore it. Yeah, I'm hoping that um, we don't just obtain an oasis, a break from this kind of barrage or assault that we actually can move through it into another way of living. I mean, we have to do that individually and by example. That's all I can say. I don't like to engage in any kind of interaction with um, wireless devices. I don't like it. I, I don't even want to touch one of those black phones, you know, the scrying mirror Apple phones, um, unless I absolutely have to. And... People constantly, you know, when you meet somebody, they'll hand you their phone. They want you to put your number in it or your email in it. And I say, I don't touch those things. And then they get very surprised. But this is a habit now. We are moving into increasingly technological ways of living. And I have a theory that's very kooky, but I think we are springing into another kind of orbit another kind of orbital existence and there are some of us who don't want to go and we may not go I don't know I don't that's all I'll say because I 
I see too many people gravitating into this without any kind of concern. And I feel that these assaults from what they're spraying in the sky to make the sky a plasma, to make it conductive, to mess with the weather, the pH of the soil, to render the trees rootless. A friend was telling me that the forests around where she lives in northern New York, the trees are just upending and falling down. And these giant trees should not have such weak root systems, but they do. And they're losing their foundation. And this is, you know, it's a metaphor for everything. We are losing our foundations. And human beings, especially, it's being shown in their catapulting degenerative health conditions, their inability to sustain vibrancy. Yeah, we have longer lives, but we don't have longer lives because of medical advances. We have longer lives because of hygienic advances. When people um, experienced living in houses with glass windows, sunlight is a natural disinfectant. And a lot of the decomposition materials, the mold and the fungi that were living there, I mean, people had earthen floors for so many years, dank living conditions, cold and damp, and they were chronically ill because they didn't have enough sunlight and enough warmth. And I have learned recently that infrared energy, which is obtained through warm heat and warm light, we are so dependent on good, clear sunlight every day. And what happens when they spray artificial um, particulates into the sky that nucleate water to them? They, if you make those droplets fine enough, there was a study that came out called Pollution Stops Rain. Actually, it was headlines that came out. This is a study based on work that was done in Israel um, that if the pollution particulates were small enough, they formed a haze in the sky, which actually held back the rain because rain occurs when those droplets are big enough that they coagulate into a cloud and then they get unstable and the rain falls out of the cloud. So science came up with the bright idea that if you spray particulates, um, let's just say metal particulates, metal metallic oxides in the sky, and you allow atmospheric moisture to be drawn to them, if the particulate, the nucleus of that drop is tiny enough, then you can create droplets that are suspended and they form a haze. And that's why you'll hear weather people say hazy skies. We've heard this for years and years and years. And a lot of that haze is man-made. So that filters sunlight. So what do you get as a result? You get populations and you get biological life, forests and plants and animals and people that don't obtain enough sunlight. And therefore, their biological um, transactions and interchanges are not optimal. So they start degenerating. They develop chronic illness. So all you have to do is filter the sun. And of course, uh, Billy Gates just made another one of his uh, brilliant public statements that we need to start blocking out more sun rays. Uh, <laughs> you know, so um, 
and of course they have convoluted reasons related to global warming and everything else. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, in, in the advancements in longevity that people were making for a while because of improvements of hygiene and so forth are no longer, uh, you know, as effective and life uh, expectancies are now plummeting once again. So, uh, you know, what gains we did get for a while are all getting undone. And, you know, as a physician for many years, uh, things when I was young and just starting in, in my career, um, diseases, you know, especially all these neurological diseases and cancers, uh, you know, a lot of them were extremely rare and now they're in epidemic proportions. So um, it's, it's very dismaying then uh, when a lot of my colleagues uh, can't connect the dots and just sit back and ask the obvious questions like, why is that happening? Why as a species are we getting sicker? And of course, there's some research come up with better drugs. Well, also, there's this great fallacy of history that we talk about a lot, Bear, that there's like this idea that we are at the apex of our civilization and longevity, and then humans used to only live, you're lucky to live to 40. And that's because even back then, um, throughout the era, we still had scientism. I mean, even before the great, you know, growth, outgrowth of scientism, the scientific revolution in the 1700s, 1600s, we still had like hypocrisies with the four, um, what was it? The, um, you know, the, the ancient Western medicine still had it wrong where they talked about what the four humors or what is it? The four, you know, the, the medicine yeah. was off, but if you had the traditional medicine, man, the traditional, um, you know, more indigenous cultures, or you go to the Eastern uh, traditions, humans were living 150, 200 years old, and they still are in some places today because they're more within the natural um, framework of who we are as humans. And we've been like, our history has been co-opted to, to, to make us think that we are now, thanks to science, living longer when that's just totally not true. Life expectancy back then was due to blunt force trauma by the control systems, by wars, by, you know, people living in really bad situations, thanks to the controlling um, politics and the kings and, and everyone that were, you know, the despots that were really have been controlling the world for a long time. On top of all the improper science and medicine and the butchery going on even back then where we have indigenous cultures and others have shown that in terms have generally have the same longevity for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So once again, history is being convoluted and corrupted and controlled by the, by the systems and the people who want to maintain this narrative that we've somehow had this gradual increase of longevity thanks to the modern marvels of allopathic medicine. And uh, just a quick comment, uh, sorry, I'll just interject. Um, very ironically, the um, people that have the belief system that we are at the apex of human evolution right now, uh, justify that belief system by the uh, pointing at the technologies that we're using that are in fact causing our problems. So um, of course. here we are. Yeah, Sophia, um, you uh, have uh, just have an amazing way 
as you say, you know, simplify things. And one thing I really love when you were talking with Greg in the higher side chats on the last one you did is you did an amazing job of like breaking down microbiology and everything with pleomorphism and stuff we talk about a lot in our audience is very familiar with, but you just have an amazing way with words. And I was really enjoying how you explained that all. And, you know, right now we are in the age of the CV and, um, you know, Arthur Furstenberg, who you may be aware of with his Invisible Rainbow book, um, has an ama- a very good way, too, of explaining how, as you're saying, these, um, these um, electrical, uh, manif- you know, these, these synthetic or these um, anti-nature uh, electromagnetic waves that have been brought forth from radio, these higher hertz, um, uh, you know, uh, cycles um, have caused... Uh, great harm to our biology. And he's shown that with radio and World War I, how that led to Spanish, uh, the Spanish flu. And now where we are today, it seems like we do have some sort of global um, health crisis, if you will. Um, do you feel in your mind that this is related to the chemtrails, the 5 hay, the 5G and all that stuff, or um, in terms of the COVID-19 and everything that's going on with that. What's your, uh, your take rely, relating all of this we've been talking to with the current kind of nonsense going on um, with the uh, quote unquote pandemic? Are you asking me, there was a word that glitched in the Skype, a global something. I heard you just said pandemic, but you said something else and that word glitched. Oh, so, uh, I mean, my the basic. Sorry, my internet is now not stable because um, I'm in a rural area as well. So we're, we're sorry, guys, if the transmission here isn't the best. Um, I mean, the gist of my question is, um, you have made a great case on this talk today that uh, huma- uh, that our health is uh, in peril due to not only the particulates in the air, but because of the um, artificial frequencies that we're dealing with. In your mind, is this relating to the current global uh, health crisis that we're seeing, or is this more of a political event? What, in your terms, is going on right now with uh, the COVID stuff? Okay, we have a global health crisis, but it isn't related to this pandemic. This pandemic is a pretext. It's taken over from global warming. Global warming, we were told, you know, sustainable, sustainable, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to cut your carbon footprint, you have to shrink your life, become as small as possible, as inoffensive as possible to the planet and to nature. And now what has taken, I guess that didn't work too well, because people still drove their huge, you know, um, Chevrolet Tahoes, and they didn't care if it cost $100 to fill it up. so or the or the politicians flying their jets all over the world. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So there now we have COVID and you've got to shrink yourself and stay away from people and don't show your face and you know uh, be as thoughtful of others and don't go near anybody. I mean, I'm surprised they're not masking our dogs and cats. But I, this is all about sustainability. Say, be safe. Be safe and be healthy and be sustainable. So their definition of health is completely the opposite of anybody else's definition of health, in my opinion, you know. Um, And it's all about what are you willing to do in this madness? How far are we willing to yield and comply and that kind of stuff? 
I don't know, because there are, there are no laws. I have to tell you what I just discovered by complete accident. And I'm going to read you the article. But, all right. So did you know that in 1976, President Gerald Ford, remember him? He signed the <laughs> National Emergencies Act. And that formula, formalized the president's power to declare an emergency just because he felt like it. So did you know that today there are like 34 national emergencies that are still going on? And this last one only just joined the list. And when the president snaps his fingers and declares a national emergency, and that's all he has to do. He doesn't have to prove it. He just has to declare it. It expires within one year unless he renews it again or the next president renews it. So did you know that the Iran hostage crisis is a continuing national emergency all these years later? And it's been renewed by six different presidents every year. Did you know that? Do you remember the Actually, Iran I hostage did. crisis? Yep. Yeah, that was a very interesting point in history, too. And uh, Jack Ford, the son of Gerald Ford, lived across the street from me. I was in graduate school in Utah. And uh, so overnight, you know, when uh, he took over, uh, you know, Jack's house was surrounded with Secret Service people. So uh, anyway, yeah, interesting time period. Um, yeah, it almost makes you think that they're all in on it, right? Listen. I'll tell you why they renew it. The um, Iran hostage crisis of 1979 has been renewed 39 times by six different presidents. Do you want to know why? It's because you can't sanction a country unless you've declared some aspect of it a threat to the United States and a national emergency. There's some national emergency regarding some relating Wundi that Barack Obama declared in 2015. There's another one that has to do with North Korea that was declared by George Bush in 2008. These are all constantly renewed and nobody talks about them. So we have a national emergency now by declaration and Trump declared it and Biden's definitely going to renew it, right? And that's all it takes. But that's now we have an emergency situation, but that doesn't allow laws to be made outside of the legislative process that relate to these emergencies. But the president has declared a national emergency, and that's all he needs to do to make it so. Yeah, so I learned that there are lawsuits. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, of course, these emergencies are perceived and acted upon based on the interest uh, or the, the perceived threat of the U.S. incorporated, nothing to do with the constitutional republic. And then I, I was going to say also that this relates to COG, continuity of government, and then that allows them to then route into private 
um, you know, unelected bureaucracy, military, you know, corporate military to literally run uh, the, the country. But go I ahead, would, Sophia. I would add that the emergencies that have been declared have been declared because they become catalysts for social change. That's why they declare these emergencies, right? Look at the social changes that have happened since COVID was declared a national and global emergency. The behavioral changes, destruction of human faces, such that nobody is able to read anybody's intention properly. And I'm going to predict that the day will come when to show your full face will be considered indecent exposure and punishable as, you know, indecent exposure is punishable today. There will be laws against it, perhaps. So we have to get away from that. We have to not all tumble forward into that world. And we have to start with ourselves. Well, I would argue that uh, Kamala showing her face in public is indecent exposure, but that's a different thing. <laughs> Kamala has an extraordinarily thick neck. I was looking at it last night. It is not normal. <laughs> so are oh, we talking going. about some? I don't do know, because I was never on that page with most people. But I was looking at her neck last night and thinking, what? How can it be so? I mean, it is like a sequoia redwood tree. Interesting. The one thing that I was really enjoying about some of the memes this morning was the, um, the style and fashion in this new mask uh, kind of world and how it relates to... Uh, some pretty dystopic novels and movies. There was some really funny attire that matched some of the citizenry from the Hunger Games capital, literally. And this is uh, an analogy that I bring up a lot because it is kind of funny how like LA and New York and these places are literally becoming more and more like those capital uh, places in um, the smart cities, if you will, uh, in the Hunger Games, right? And then the rural areas will be the ones that they're going to be trying to starve out. Um, and then, of course, The Handmaiden's Tale. And they had some attire of some of these bureaucrats that were almost matched some of the, from the movies there. And it's, if anything, it's allowing us to sit back and laugh at just how ridiculous the show has gotten. Because we do know it's all a stage play. And um, this is, uh, this is going to be a fun time, I think, because it's going to allow us just to see how ridiculous it's all gotten. Where with Trump, they were allowed to kind of see for me, I felt like Trump was almost the um, their sacrificial lamb for what the United States was or what the Republic was supposed to be, you know, they make America great and all this stuff was their ability to put that out on the altar and sacrifice it. And now we've entered the pure real now globalism, the new postmodern technocratic realm that they initiated last yesterday with that funeral. It really was kind of like a funeral. I didn't watch it, but from what I've heard from people I really trust that did watch it, it had that kind of resonance. So um, and I know you're saying, well, how can you be laughing at a funeral? Well, um, 
to me, maybe it's my dark humor, but it just seems kind of ridiculous. It just seems like that's their agenda that they're putting forward. And those of us who understand the greater kind of um, narratives and the language and the spellcraft that is in the language that they use, um, and we can look back, we can kind of step out of that and look at it and just make fun of it in a, in a more, in an easier way now than with the Trump administration. So there's, I think we're going to see a lot of that happening and hopefully a lot of awakening and, and people seeing this for themselves and going, whoa, what am I doing wearing this mask over my face every day? So um, there's always that flip side. I personally feel, and I feel like there is a lot of people kind of coming out of that um, brainwashing and that, that stupor and uh, waking up to this. I would just like to throw in a little a, a heads up that I made a mask for myself that was breathable, made out of organic muslin cheesecloth. And friends wanted them, so I made a couple more. And then a friend of mine told me he had taken a Sharpie and written useless placebo across his face mask that he was wearing to the supermarket, and everybody loved it. So I had these little labels made that said useless placebo. And I sew them on the front of these breathable organic cotton masks. So if you absolutely have to wear a mask, you can breathe. And now I've got COVID zombie as a label option and walking biohazard. <laughs> and um, I can't believe I'm sitting here. I have a little cottage industry going making these masks. So if anybody wants to get one, if you absolutely have to wear one and you aren't allowed to exercise your free will, against this um you can order a store but it's only orderable by mail mail order um so there's an, a form you will see it on avatarproducts.com to the right there's a little image and you can see the picture and you, there's a downloadable form so that's how it works that's great and i will put that in the I, show notes too that that uh, links to all your sites and into that as well so people can thank uh, find you that. now i just wanted to throw it out there because there are people who are really desperate and i've gotten as much as i don't want to be trapped in my room at my sewing machine making masks i can't believe the notes people have written me notes of thanks because they'll order more and they'll say i can finally breathe and my you know aged mother is now much more comfortable so i just thought this was my contribution. Make it breathable and put a little message on it. You can get it without the label too, because it is a useless placebo. Yeah, and some people don't have the. I'd like to see a few million of those. <laughs> Go don't ahead, Mike. Say that. I don't uh, have to hire a factory. <laughs> um, I was just going to say some people don't have because, the. Because I mean, it would be a wonderful walking bill. Go ahead. <laughs> the, the wherewithal or the We've strength. We've got quite a time lag. Go ahead. Yeah, the strength to deal with the uh, social pressures of of standing up for yourself and not wearing a mask. Peggy Hall has been a very uh, um, outspoken person, uh, helping people know their rights, but still there is an emotional uh, tension and stress of going out and um, trying to stand up for your own health rights uh, to go out and just get something as simple as a, you know, a gallon of milk or some eggs or something. Um, this is why on the solution side, we've talked a lot about agrarianism and, and, 
um, getting more self-sufficient so that you can have the ability to feed yourself without having to go to one of those markets or barter and share with your communities, uh, support small farms um, with their delivery systems that they have. You know, there's those um, the great market farms and those that have, uh, you can order like, you know, a box every week gets delivered to your doorstep. Um, there's lots of ways that where I think the benefit of this is that let's stop supporting the Whole Foods, the Safeways, all these corporate chains that are, are using, you know, supporting monoculture and, and um, you know, uh, just also that the, we've talked about this, the food isn't good in there anyways. So, um, but yes, you're doing a great service there, Sophia, because it is quite stressful for many to try to go out in society right now and not wear a mask. And if you can do it in a way that allows you to have the peace of mind to still get through your day, but also not affect your, your breathing. That's a, that's a fantastic thing to offer. Uh, thank you. You know, I just wanted to say, I did call the headquarters of Trader Joe's uh, in Southern California. I thought it was in Pasadena, but I think they moved it. And I told them that I used to go to Trader Joe's on impulse. I'd go three times a week because I, I would, pass at Trader Joe's or whatever on the way home and I'd stop in and I'd buy a few things and you could just kind of freshen up your your pantry and your refrigerator and cook on the fly you know what I mean the spur of the moment and I don't do that anymore now I have to psych myself up to go there to stand in line and invariably I'm the only one who doesn't put on my mask until the very end of the line when I, and I'm usually putting it on as I'm walking in and they're urging me to pull it up higher, ma'am. You have to pull it up all the way. <laughs> right. And then when they see that it says useless placebo, they get all annoyed with me, their body language. They start <laughs> jerking around because they're insulted and it's causing them to think though. I know this because I can see the little gears whirling in the mind, but it's uh, unpleasant to have to psych yourself up to go buy food. Um, and of course, uh, you know, we, I don't do it as much now. And Peggy Hall is lucky. She has a Trader Joe's up there in San Clemente that doesn't, she, it's just pure luck unless she's been in there enough times and, and stamped her foot. But my friend went to Trader Joe's in Norwalk, Connecticut, and he was thrown out. He actually pulled a little stunt that was absolutely admirable. I wouldn't have had the guts to do it. But he filled his cart up, wouldn't wear a mask. And, you know, they dogged him all over the store. He got to the checkout and he said, they told him to wear a mask at the checkout. And he said, no, I don't want to wear a mask. I want to pay for my groceries. Just let me pay and I'll get out of here. They wouldn't allow him to check out without putting a mask on. So he said, if you're not going to let me pay for my groceries, this is how he translated it. I want to pay. I'm here at the checkout to pay. You don't want to let me pay. And the condition is the mask. I'm not putting the mask on, but I want to pay. So if you don't want to let me pay, I will leave with my groceries right out. And so what, what's going on in their mind? Is this, is this theft? What is it? He wants to pay. They don't want his money unless he agrees to the term of the mask. But it's already too late. It's the end of his shopping. Just do this. Get it over. So the police came. And he was there with his full cart of groceries, which they made him relinquish. And um, he conducted this masterfully, but it has been pulled off YouTube. But the 
miserable police just kept repeating that they were doing their job. That's the, all. The this followers. is my job. Yep. Right? So you can't explain to them that apparently the way Peggy Hall construes it and others, um, it's a medical intervention, something that alters metabolism on another human being. You have to have a license to do that, a medical license. And as much as the three of us don't admire these medical licenses and the knowledge that underlies the, you know, um, obtaining of such a license. You, you really can't make somebody obstruct their airways and alter their metabolism without having a license to do so. And nobody in a store has that, obviously. So wearing masks is a convention now. And it's also a convention being practiced out of sympathy and support for others. Oh, I don't want to make anybody else sick. I don't want to offend anybody else. But the idea of contagion is flawed here. You know, what is contagion? And that's a very con a concept that's very sophisticated and very difficult to understand. But these pieces of cloth around our face, obscuring what are going to be our identifying features to make us all, you know what a friend of mine suggested the other day? And she might be right, that they're going to circulate among us robots that look like human beings made of frubber. And apparently glass eyes, if you go to Madame Tussauds Waxworks and you look at the eyes, they can be very well made, you know? They're very, uh, they can convince you that it's, <laughs> it's a real eye. So maybe we will be infiltrated by frubber robots wearing masks and we'll never know because they won't have those nuances Responses of have those blank stare in the eyes and they'll be talking mechanically at you. Invasion of the Frubber bots. Totally. Yeah. And you know, Trader and Joe's, they I, I'll just say this, Bear. I I haven't I've had problems with Trader Joe's for a decade. I always tell people, well, it's like the total virtue signaling place. I'm going to Trader Joe's because like that's so hip. Meanwhile, everything's pre-packaged in plastic. It's got microwave directions on all their produce. Most of the stuff's not organic. It's, um, you know, so I've been, I've been having problems with Trader Joe's for years and good riddance. I hope they go bankrupt because uh, enough's enough with that company. Go ahead, Bear. No, I was just going to say um, who would have believed 20 years ago after 911 that we'd still be taking off our shoes and belts and going through checkpoints at the airport. So obviously we see where they're headed uh, as far as making this a permanent social engineering feature. Uh, you know, going back to your analysis or your story of, uh, you know, your, your mishap with the, the car people there. Um, you know, we do that ourselves. We don't get into town. We are a little more self-sufficient than most people. So this won't work for anybody. But there were a few places that we went into town when we, you know, did go there. And uh, the people that absolutely require a mask, we just don't go. And, uh, and so what was empowering about it is my wife, myself, we get home and, you know, one of the places, unfortunately, was our local health food store in town. And we just said, okay, what do we get there? What's really essential? And we found ways around it to get those needs met other, other ways. And, um, you know, we'll never shop there again. So uh, I think the sooner that a lot of those establishments join the woke and broke uh, 
you know, crowd, uh, you know, that is one way that we can deal with it. Not by reviewing or doing anything other than just saying, okay, I've, that's fine. I just won't come here anymore, ever. But impulse shopping, because we don't create our own food and we don't create a lot of the goods that we need, we, it's the, you know, the next best thing is to wander around and find something, even if it's in a thrift store that really works for you. Okay. And we don't have that freedom anymore. So we're stuck at home having to create things, which isn't so bad. I'm making my masks, you know, that's it. Uh, that's my life now, making these masks. And I also make cell phone shielding cases, by the way, um, on my store. So what will life be like 20 years from now? What, where will we be going? What about this mRNA vaccine? Will we be taking it? I have learned, I don't know if this is correct, but I happened to also see a post on it that looked pretty official. Um, let's just say, not from an agency, but um, it was a part of a study or something, that the COVID swab is tipped with an element called technetium, T-E-C-H-N-E-T-I-U-M. And te this is apparently a radio pharmaceutical. It's used in uh, tracing the way thallium is used in a, you know, dyeing agents, tracing agents for, for imaging. So let's just, this is my theory, my two cent theory. Okay, so they want you to take this COVID test constantly every couple of weeks. They want you to be swabbed, which is very humiliating to have a, somebody jab something up your nose into that nasal palate, which is apparently also right up against the blood brain barrier. So if you jab against that blood brain barrier enough times, what are you going to do? You're going to breathe. The thing you're jabbing has this radio, um, it's radio pharmaceutical tracing. I mean, it's even isotopes of technetium are radioactive. But if you keep jabbing the blood brain barrier with this technetium tipped stuff, what happens? The technetium is going to go through the bruised area into your brain. And if you take that test enough times, this imaging material is going to be swimming around in your brain so that when you walk past one of their sensors in the future, they have an image of your brain, right? Am mm -hmm. I just a sci-fi writer here? Oh, no, that, that makes sense. I don't sense. think so at all, because there's been evidence of that uh, for a long time. And in fact, you know, we're alerting people don't get the test because you're probably getting exposed to things just through the testing process. Uh, you know, and then uh, another Billy Gates story. Uh, the other day I read an article how he's bragging, uh, how they're working on developing genetically modified tomatoes that will actually be able to deliver the vaccine when you eat them. Uh, so uh, another good um, another good excuse for people to start a home garden, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I will say this because I've had a lot of concerns with the testing and I think there are different tests and like my wife's an RN at the hospital and they just use regular swabs like out of a what they use for anything and then they send it in. So I think it depends on the kind of tests that you're getting. I just talked to a, an old business partner who's been going to Costa Rica back and forth a lot and he says he barely swabs his nose. It doesn't stick all the way up. So it does depend. So, but I, I have heard that, Sophia, I've heard that exact thing from a, a couple different sources and it wouldn't surprise me 
me at all. You know, they need to dis they can't just go full force on all of this stuff all the time. They need to create some um, dispersion so that it's not so obvious. But in the end, you're you're I think the scariest thing you've asked today is what will the world like and look like in 20 years? Will Main Street exist anymore? Um, and really, it comes down to the divergent. I think there's two divergent paths right now. I think there's those that like us that are saying no more. Um, I'm going to do everything in my power to get back to nature and to get good with myself and lead by example and develop new systems like with the summit we're putting out. And I think then there's those who are the herd that are going along with the plan. And it's going to be interesting to see how those diversion paths, how that works. Are we going to be literally hunted down by this, by the nano, by the drone bots coming and looking for us? Is it going to be something like that Matt Damon movie where everyone on the planet earth is in squalor while the elites live in this like crazy paradise planet above the earth? Um, are we on flat earth? Are we on a globe? I mean, there's, it goes in so many places, but, but I do see this kind of divergence right now of, of people going, I don't want to go that way. I'm going to choose this way. And the other is just the herd going along. So, um, interesting times. We're in interesting times. Yes. Well, thank you. It sounds like we're, we're wrapping up. Yes, this has been a really fun talk and uh, you've brought up so many amazing points and I know people have been on the chat and taking notes and saying they've been learning a lot. And um, to find out more, of course, I, I did drop some links in the chat, but if you want to um, follow Sophia, she's got an amazing uh, mailing list that you can subscribe to. She puts a lot of effort and work into these and uh, you can go to uh, sophiasmallstorm.com is it .com, correct, Sophia? Yeah, that's the independent URL. But the, I do not have a mailing list. I have a newsletter. That oh, that's is what actually I meant. I'm sorry. The most old-fashioned thing you could imagine. It's a personal newsletter. It's not that I copy and paste articles from the internet. It goes by snail mail. It's really a knitting together of my thought processes every month. And there are different topics. I range widely. Somebody who just renewed. I've got people who have been with me since... 2010 when I started this and they've been getting this thing every year and it's mailed through the mail so you get a hard copy there are people who take themselves out to dinner well you can't do that anymore but it's like the dog who you give him a treat and he goes by the fireplace on the soft rug and eats it there that's what people do when they get the newsletter I'm happy to say it just makes me smile but they keep the copies in a binder and I do give the resource material, you know, where you can find whatever I uh, stumbled on. But a lot of it is my own thinking process, and it's written in an entertaining way. So that's my personal newsletter, and it's available by a minimum donation of $50 a year. And you just send me a check or money order. It's explained on the website. And then I do the occasional podcast, and I have my... Um, online store avatarproducts.com and that's really how I survive between the newsletter avatar products so you know it's a there are people who say on shows oh just buy something from Sophia's store because you'll help her out you'll support her and I say what it's this is not you're not giving me ten dollars you're getting something that I have found to be beneficial and I just want to tell people I brought on a soap maker extraordinaire he used to be at the farmer's market, Solana Beach Farmer's Market. 
to admit I was too cheap to spend $10 on a bar of soap from him. And I couldn't believe it that when I finally tried his soap this past year, because I decided to contact him, he since moved. He sent me a box of soaps. The soap is unbelievable. He has gum turpentine soap. He has soap that is so, he has sassafras. He has lilac. He has gardenia. He has all the, you know, lavender rose. I mean, you don't want to put these soaps down. And even though they're expensive, they last longer than regular soap. And I have to say, in the winter, my skin itches because I swim in a pool and then it's very dry out and cold. And when I get into bed at night, sometimes I have to get out of bed and put lotion on everywhere. I have not had to do that in the last three weeks that I've been using this guy's soap. I have not had to use body lotion. So what he says about being super moisturizing is actually correct. I found it out from myself at the soaps I feature them on the front page of avatar products I'm bringing in a huge array of them now and there is a three four you know slot you save a little money and then we're going to have the grab bag where when I change the line which I'll hope to do frequently everything that's left over from the previous line will go in the grab bag and you can get three for $25 these are amazing I, I can't stop talking about them or smelling them Band. That's that's yes. great. I'm gonna go check those out myself. And you know, the neat thing is is um, it's uh, all these independent creators and producers. You know, we grow things and then make things out of what we grow, and you know that helps finance ourselves. So you know, we we have good products and and a service, and then it keeps us in the position where we can get out the. Um, Sophia, thanks so much for being here again. And, uh, you know, one of the true blessings uh, of what's happening is that it is bringing us in contact with remarkable people like yourself. So keep up the good work. Uh, let's stay in touch. And uh, thank you once again. Thank you. I enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you both. Thank you, Sophia. And thanks, everybody, for watching. If you enjoyed this discussion, give us a like, a follow, a subscribe. You know what to do. Share with your friends and family. And please so support Sophia. That sounds like a very fair transaction and commerce. She puts a lot of work into this. So um, that's fantastic. And those links will be in the show notes below. Thanks, guys. Uh, get outside. Get your hands dirty. Uh, go grow something. Go for, a, go for a wonderful trail walk in nature. She is the best healer. Love you. And we'll see you next week. Cheers.